Welcome to Pew Pew Panel with Eric and Ava. Today we're going to discuss a new fun switch, hunting werewolves and giants, the PSA jackal, and guns that we wish would make a comeback. Eric, how's it going today? Awesome. I just got uh, done driving back from uh, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale on <laughs> an eight and a half hour drive, but other than that, doing pretty well. <laughs> oh man, so your butt hurts. <laughs> you're like, you're yeah. like, it's cool. I just drove for eight hours all the way to come back and sit here for another hour. It's just, you know, hey, look, sometimes, you know, sometimes life's a little rough, but uh, you just got to pull through. And I told you, I was like, look, I like we have stuff to do, you know, if you wanted a little break, like it doesn't exist. Okay. So you're just gonna have to pull it through and life could be worse. I mean, you could be talking about something other than guns, but we're going to be talking about guns, which is an awesome topic. Of course. It's <laughs> always good. There's no rest for the wicked around here. That's for sure. I know it's so true. Um, okay. So before we start the show, so just a reminder, guys, we're really trying to build up Pew Pew Panel YouTube channel. So if you guys head on over to Pew Pew Panel on YouTube um, and just, you know, subscribe, you will get this show like the minute that Tuesday morning hits. I mean, probably at 1 a.m. Otherwise, you guys can wait for, you know, Eric to post it, which could be any time. So if you guys are like really loving the show and you want to get, you know, oops, and you want to get uh, the show right away, definitely head on over to that YouTube channel and uh, and then subscribe and hit that bell notification as well. And then also while we're at it, if you want to hit the thumbs up, that would be cool, too. So I have some really good news. We have a new sponsor to introduce, Electronic Transfer. And I love this company because uh, they work with FFL companies. They're uh, a merchant service company. And if you guys have ever owned a business, like I, I have quite a few businesses. I remember, um, I think it was like a year or two into my business when I had my FFL, I was doing firearms training. I was also selling guns. Chase Bank found out that I was selling guns and without any warning, they dropped me. I was doing a gun show that weekend and then suddenly I didn't have any way to accept credit card and they just dropped me. And that was like very eye opening. Um, and so ever since then, uh, lesson learned, like I really made sure that like I chose banks accordingly because I was not going to let that happen again. And now more than ever, um, you know, politicians and all these organizations, if they can't change laws, they're coming at us from all different directions, including, you know, our banks. And um, and then in addition to that, it's just good to support a company that supports our industry as well. So if you guys want more information, head on over to electronictransfer.com and uh, let them know that we said hi. Awesome. All right. Uh, now it is time for mail call. Uh, so Eric, you went first last time, so I'm going to go first. So I just got this in the mail. It's the G flex Glock trigger, and it is made from performance triggers. So Franklin Armory came out with their binary trigger. This is very similar. Um, I don't know when this came out, but I think it, this was around, it's been around for a little, a little while now. Um, what's great about it, so it's a drop-in trigger. Let me open it up, actually. I have yet to open it up, but it is a drop-in trigger, so super easy to replace. And um, when you pull the trigger, a round shoots out. So you can see it's a, it's a drop-in trigger. So when you pull the trigger, 
uh, a round comes out. And then when you release the trigger, a round shoots out. So for every regular press of the trigger, uh, two rounds essentially uh, come out. And once you get the cadence down, you can shoot it, I mean, pretty fast, like with any binary trigger. What I like about this, um, I have not used it yet. I haven't put it in my gun. But what I like about this so far is the price. So you can get it not just for the Gen 4 like you can with most, you know, aftermarket Glock parts. You can get it for Gen 3, Gen 4, Gen 5. But then best of all, the price, regardless of the generation, is $230, which is pretty great uh, compared to any competitors out there. Outstanding. Yeah. I've actually ran those triggers before and they they work quite well. I, I have ran them in, in Glocks before and, and they're uh, they're great. Oh, really? So the G-Flex you had specifically? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I just, I was, I've been so busy with like Thanksgiving and stuff that I haven't had a chance to put it in my gun. Um, I did do a review on Franklin Armory's binary trigger. What is it? The S17 something, I forget. G7, GS17 or something. Um, and that worked well. Um, and I put, I even put it in a polymer 80 gun as well, which it says not to, but I did cause I had to test, you know, test out everything and it worked well in that as well. So nice. Yeah. I ran the, uh, the Franklin armory in a CZ scorpion, uh, their scorpion trigger. And it actually worked really, really well. Yeah. All, so I have Franklin's, uh, binary triggers in an AK MP5 and AR. And then what I really want is the 1022. Uh, the 22 that they make for the 1022, but believe it or not, I don't have a 1022, which is so dumb. Like out of all the guns that I have, my entire basement is filled with guns and I don't, I don't even own a 1022. Like what am They're I doing in my life? Am we I even them. a gun owner, like, or a gun collector, or am I even in the industry? <laughs> That's it. I'm leaving. That's it. This pocket. I know. I know. I know. It's, it's a little embarrassing. I get it. <laughs> no, it's all, all right. Good. So what did you get in the mail? All right, so um, buddy of mine owns this company, uh, Simtech Wireless Security. So what this is, is a sensor that you can put, like I'm gonna go ahead and open it up and show you what it looks like. It's kind of neat, it looks like something out of the Matrix uh, or whatever, you know. Yeah, it looks like one of those little flying things out of the Matrix. It kind of looks like one of those like fidget things. Yeah, fidget spinner or something. But uh, so this this sensor here, you place like in your safe or in a really important place or if you want to bug a room or whatever, anywhere you want to put this sensor, you pay a four four dollar a month uh, data fee and it sends information. Your phone lets you know if um, the area that you're trying to control in question uh, was disturbed in any type of way. So this could be as simple as putting inside of a gun case or putting it inside of a gun safe. Let's say that you are a, t a key turner at, a, at your local FFL and you need to know every single time that the safe was accessed by employees, for instance. OK, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, this would tell you an exact timestamp of whenever the safe was was accessed. So mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. It's, it's mainly meant for it's not really meant to, like, secure the physical item, because obviously if someone can open the safe, then. Yeah, they're yeah. they're in the safe, so it's not going to prevent entry. It's not an alarm. It's literally just a device that can let you know if someone has gained access to a certain area. So it could be as simple as your gun safe. It could be wherever you're putting valuables. It could be huh. a, a safe for you know a cash drawer. Uh, you know, for like maybe your employees or something. So it, it can fill a lot of different roles and everything like that. But that's a Sim Simtech wireless security, kind of cool. Interesting. 
And it just detects movement, I'm assuming? Yep. It detects okay. movement. And then it sends to your phone and says, hey, movement detected. So, like, say you're going out of town or something and you're worried about, I don't know, someone messing with a certain closet or a certain area in your house. You want to know if the kids have been messing with something or if you tell your kids, hey, stay out of this room. And they exactly that's that's what comes to mind is, you know, if, if you're a kid, you know, if, if, you know, God forbid, like, I think the biggest fear that any parent has is like their child accessing their gun and they didn't teach them properly not to touch it. Um but that's what comes to mind is, you know, especially if you're like in the same house or something like that and you receive a notification, you can get to it as quickly as possible. So that's cool. Yeah. Or maybe if you maybe you want to know if a delivery driver dropped off a package or something in your parcel box and you have it yeah. set off. Or, you know, there's, so there's lots of like little reason, reasons you could use that, uh, that Simtech sensor for. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, now it is time for Would You Rather. So Cody Wright, he wrote into us. And he has, uh, he actually has three questions, two of them, would you rather, and the other one's just a, a regular question. This one was kind of cool. Uh, he said, would you rather go giant hunting like Goliath or werewolf hunting? And like, so at first I was like, oh, hands down Goliath. But then I was like, dang, but werewolves, man, that would be like super scary and just fun i think because when you think of giant i mean yeah that would be scary too but like you just kind of think of like a dumb jolly old giant that you're just going to try to take down which would also um you know i mean that would be kind of tough too like you'd have to really figure out okay what's going to work on a giant but i don't know it's kind of tough because one i think one would be challenging and the other one would just be scary hmm well werewolves are only werewolves when the moon is full True. And then you have to use silver bullets to hunt werewolves. So that would be a little more expensive to have to launch, you know, silver bullets all the time. You know, that might, might, that might get pricey whereby, you know, uh, I'm sure a giant could just be, you know, you hit him with a good shotgun slug. That's probably about all you need to take out a giant. I don't know. I want to think of giants as like friendly and stuff. I don't know, but maybe, maybe we're talking like the biblical mean ones. I mean, so when I think of giants, what comes to mind, as stupid as this is, is like Gulliver's Travels, <laughs> right? Gulliver Travel or Oliver Travels. Man, it's been forever. I had to read that whole stupid yeah. thing in college. Um, but that's what comes to mind is like, you know, we're like super teeny tiny and these giants are just like so much bigger than us. So I don't even think like even in the movie when they were fighting the giants, like, you know, it was just it wasn't even breaking yeah, like skin. people with little sticks like little yeah. toothpicks to stab them yeah i'm gonna say werewolves yeah okay then i'll say giants and then maybe we could just like meet up and go hunting together like certain different days you know and and then best like best of both worlds <laughs> so i want to have like a like an like a 249 like a saw done yeah. up to look all steampunk and shit like something from van, van helsing yeah. And have it shoot like silver bullets, like silver five five six. That would be cool. Um, no, so you just said the uh, the two four nine. So yesterday, and keep in mind the show is always pre recorded. But yesterday, I went to my dad's house, and I was like, you know what? It's Friday. Let's do full auto Friday with the family, and uh, with my dad and my sister, and. Um, and my sister and I both wanted to shoot bolt belt fed. And so she had the M60, which is a freaking huge gun. 
And we kind of were both just like, I don't know, should I do it? Should you do it? You know, whatever. So I ended up with the 249, which was a hell of a lot easier to shoot. I mean, still heavy gun, but like not as heavy as the M60. And then my, and my dad had a scar full auto, uh, 308. And I mean, it was just so much fun. Like, uh, it just, it, I don't know, it just like made my day. And obviously it made my day today too. Cause I still think about it. I'm like, ah, that was fun. But yeah, like props to my sister for shooting that. Cause she's really tiny and that gun's heavy as hell. Like, I think it's like 10 pounds heavier than the 249, which even that gun is heavy, but yeah. I mean, still in as well. So you think about the M60, though. I mean, yeah, it's a hefty gun, but that also helps soak up a lot of the recoil. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, you're talking a 7.62 belt fed, but the weight and the distribution of the weight and everything. And, you know, yeah. they're very controllable guns, you know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the hardest thing is just like getting it out there in front of you. And then once you pull the trigger, it's, you know, it's fine. So. Yeah. Um, all right. And then next is, would you rather own fully armed aircraft carrier, a fully armed aircraft carrier, aircraft and armaments of your choice, or equal in smaller land and air tanks to aircraft, everything in between? Hmm. 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 Okay. Well, I mean, the nice thing about having naval superiority is that, you know, you're pretty mobile because the, the, the earth is covered primarily with water. So you've got a, basically a floating fortress that can go anywhere. But then again, if you can have ground forces, like let's say you could have tanks and aircraft and maybe, you know, um, anti-aircraft and like, you know, those yeah. types of systems, then, then yeah, that would probably be better, you know, to kind of like solidify and strengthen an area and have anti-aircraft and counter munition batteries and things like that. Um, and then, of course, tanks. I mean, when you look at everything that's going on, in, in the, the especially the war in Ukraine and the amount of uh, attrition that is occurring even between both the Russians and the Ukrainians, um, they are losing a lot of equipment. They're losing a lot of men. And, um, you know, if you can't establish air superiority, uh, which both sides are obviously uh, having a, a difficult time establishing air superiority because the anti-aircraft uh, systems on both sides of the front are exceptionally good and have a lot of range and power. And, um, you know, it, both sides are struggling to uh, maintain some form of a, of, a, of a fire superiority in terms of the air power. And, you know, that's the wildest thing about that particular war. So when you ask that, would you rather question um, you know, yeah, having an aircraft carrier and aircraft is great um, if you can establish air superiority. I would say <laughs> I would prefer a, a healthy combination of ground forces such as tanks and anti-aircraft and then air, aircraft and, and things like that. So, yeah, I agree with your answer. I, I was. Yeah. Although, I mean, that's an excellent point. It's also so interesting to see, like with the war in Ukraine, like how much drones are being used. Like, it's such a crazy, like, such a different war war than, like, you know, what we've seen in the past with all the advanced technology. Kind of slightly off topic, but um, but that kind of, I mean, that's been really interesting to see those videos. You got some 18-year-old kid hopped up on Mountain Dew, Ava. I know. Sitting somewhere in the rear, running a joystick like they're playing yeah. a freaking video game and yeah. dropping grenades on people and dropping all kind of crazy mortars and things and you know yeah that's, what that's crazy to, 
and and future wars are going to be definitely about who has the best tech in terms of drones and surveillance and mm-hmm. anti-aircraft uh, assets and early detection assets and radar and all this sort of stuff. That's getting off on a different subject, but uh, that's yeah. an excellent question there on the would you rather because you know, there's definitely some things to ponder for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so time to hear from another sponsor of ours, which is ATI Outdoors. And right now I looked at their website. I don't know how long this is going to last, but they have 30% off their entire website, which is pretty incredible. Um, one of my favorites that they make is it's the TAC Light AR, it's AR-15, AR-10 mil spec stock. It just has like a really cool look to it, but it's like super affordable. Um, it is on their website ranging from like $37 to $38, depending on, you know, AR-15 or AR-10. Um, but I like the look of it. I don't know if you've had a chance, Eric, to look at it, but yeah, I would, you know, if you're looking for like some furniture to put on either your shotgun, you know, AR-15, AR-10, um, they have all kinds of accessories and stuff. So definitely check them out. ATIoutdoors.com. One thing I want to mention about ATI real quick is that mm-hmm. their Benelli M4 set is really nice. They've got a great furniture set for the Benelli M4. And if you want to see that in action, I did a video on it. So you can check out our Benelli M4 video to see the ATI furniture in use. Also, we've done videos on building out uh, complete M9130 uh, sporters using the ATI stocks. Uh, they have excellent polymer stocks. And that particular stock has been They've made so many of them like it, it's it's a staple in the sporter community. So if you're looking to build a Mosin sporter, uh, they definitely do have some good mill surf replacement stocks as well that are worth looking into. Nice. OK, so ATIoutdoors.com. All right. Another listener question from Cody White. He says thoughts on the PSA Jackal. And my sister just got one, actually. I had the opportunity to shoot it uh, for the first time recently. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's probably the closest to like a ACR, you know, that you're going to get. And uh, I don't know. I like it. And then it also just looks wise. It kind of just looks like a mini scar if you get the rifle version. Oh, so you have the pistol version. This one's an SPR. Oh, Okay. Um, so the stock though, the, the stock that they're using, it kind of looks like the scar, you know, Ugg boot, which I kind of like the look of, but yeah, that looks so cool. I have to say PSA has really stepped up their game as far as some of the stuff that they've come out with. Like even last year at SHOT Show, I went to their booth and I was like, whoa, like, what is this? What is that? You know, cause I like eventually kind of stopped looking at their emails. Like I just... You know, you just get busy and stuff. Um, they have amazing deals. Um, but I guess I didn't really pay attention to all the new stuff that they were developing themselves. And they have like run really stepped their game up where the stuff just looks really, it looks really good. I haven't had the opportunity to shoot everything that they've come out with, but so far it seems like people are really pleased with it. Yeah. You know, I think that the, the Jekyll really fills an interesting niche. I'm going to go ahead and just put myself in full screen here so you can get a better look at the gun. This one is an SBR with a 12 and a half inch barrel. And this one is wearing a Gideon Optics Mediator, by the way. That's one of our show sponsors as well. So definitely check out Gideon Optics. And which and, one is um, that? What optics on there? The Mediator. Oh, that one's my favorite that they make. Yeah. yeah but, check it out GideonOptics.com. Mm-hmm. So you got a side charging handle on the uh, jackal, which is nice. 
and it is a bufferless type system. So you don't have the, the fixed buffer tube like you would on an AR. So that allows the use, obviously, of a folding stock mechanism. Uh, all your AR furniture is compatible uh, with this particular unit. This one has a full M-lock rail through and throughout. It is a rather chunky gun. It's chunky. It's kind of uh -huh. fat. Okay. It's a little bit fatter. Um, however, it, it is a nice compact setup overall. And uh, this one runs really nice. I've been shooting it a good bit. And we will have a video coming out uh, soon on this particular gun. So, How is the charging handle? I think that was the only thing I was kind of like, eh, it felt a little flimsy to me. No? Feels pretty solid. Yeah. And let's see. This does not reciprocate. So if I lock this uh, bolt to the rear, mm -hmm. see, that charging handle does not reciprocate. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. They're good. And the thing is, for what they sell for, yeah. uh, they fill a pretty interesting niche. You know, it actually kind of coincides perfectly with the topic of today's show being about like guns that we wish were still made and some of the, you know, modern classics that sort of just barely escaped us, not to mention some things from the past as well that would be really cool to see come back. You know, it is very ACR like. And, you know, Bushmasters kind of went the way the Dodo more or less or got bought mm -hmm. out and they don't make the ACR anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Bushmaster is kind of an interesting company now. Um, and I just remember their stuff being like fairly inexpensive. Like it was a good entry level AR. Mm -hmm. And recently I saw their stuff and I was looking at their prices and I was like, uh, like they don't have any guns that are even like roughly a thousand dollars anymore. I don't know if, if you've seen their prices lately, but I was like, wow, okay, you guys have definitely changed. Like, are you talking about USA? You know, uh, no, Bushmaster. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Bushmaster, DPMS, you know, all those companies that used to just make like pretty inexpensive ARs for like, you know, something that was AR level. Gotcha. Yeah. I remember when, let's see, the DPMS Sporticle, the 308 Sporticles were $699. Uh, I think it's cheaper than that. This is when I started getting into guns to sell and like the Oracle was a really inexpensive gun. I think I was selling them for like $4.99. Like it was really inexpensive and still making a decent amount of profit, but this is like 10 years ago. Um, okay. And now, so before we start talking about our main topic, guns that we wish uh, that would make a comeback. So listener comments, my favorite section. So Mark Wilson, he wrote in, he said, the Barbie look works great for you. You're very attractive. I like the way that you don't take crap and you know your stuff yet are very feminine and lovely. I'm a longtime listener to Gun Funny. Thanks for your dedication. That was sweet. Um, next is Plague Doctor 1544. Looking healthy, Eric, which kind of made me laugh because... <laughs> Like, okay, you know how people a lot of times will be like, oh, you just look so tired. And you're like, so I look like shit. <laughs> and it, and sometimes people tell me I look tired, even when I've gotten like maybe too much sleep. And I'm like, oh, I actually got a lot of sleep last night. So I don't know what that means. Um, but in this case, looking healthy, like it does, are they saying like you're looking kind of fat, like sort of plump? Or are you actually like looking like, you know, you're taking care of yourself, you're going to the gym, you know? I don't know. I'm going to assume it's probably you taking care of yourself since oh, you've been, sure. you know, you know it's funny, um, Johnny, you know, um, from 182nd or yeah. 182nd reviews. Yeah. He, uh, he said, Eric, you're reverse aging. 
I mean, it is crazy how you kind of do start to look much better. Like when you start working out, eating better, you kind of do start to reverse, you know, age. Uh, next is Vegeta 420Z6. I see Chad has fully transitioned and is going by the name Ava. He is so brave and stunning. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then last one, Cogburn1565. She seems stoned out of her mind. I mean, I am in Colorado, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, unfortunately, uh, weed does not really agree with me. And I have an FFL and I can't smoke or be caught with that stuff. Um, but I did think that was kind of funny that I, I look mean... stoned. I know. I was like, dang, tough crowd. But I do wonder, I'm like, do people just sit here and I'm just like, oh, okay, y'all males talk about guns. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peach has decided to join us. All right. Well, I guess it's time to talk about our main topic. Um, and I wanted to talk about this because I started thinking about guns that were even here just like a few years ago. And then suddenly they vanish or, you know, they just stop making them um, because as the industry or manufacturers progress, sometimes things just, you know, I mean, they don't really have um, a place anymore. Like, for example, Springfield. So XDS. I actually liked that gun quite a bit. Um, like their XD versions, just the regular XDs. I'm not really a huge fan of. I think they're kind of cheap, but um, I also own the XDM and I liked that gun. But their XDS, I thought that was a pretty good gun for concealed carry. I think at the time, maybe it held like eight rounds. So mag capacity didn't really make a lot of sense. But back then, it was still kind of a, you know, a gun for its time because most guns of that size, like even the shield, uh, the Smith & Wesson shield only held like eight rounds as well. Um, but it had a very like low, like thin profile. So it was easy to conceal. And I thought for its size, it actually shot pretty well. Like it didn't really have a ton of recoil, but I noticed recently, like, I mean, not recently, but I'd say in the last couple of years, they don't make it anymore, which I'm sure some people aren't complaining about. And I know that some people absolutely hate Springfield and, you know, for political reasons, but that is something that I've noticed. I remember when the uh, early Croatian units were coming in the, in, in the, uh, in the country, the HS 2000s. Now this yeah. has been a while. This is before Springfield ever, ever thought about bringing them, bringing them in. But when they were just, I don't remember who was importing the really early ones, but they were literally just the HS 2000 and said Croatia on them, you know, but those early guns were nice. And, you know, uh, I don't have anything against the XD. I think it's a great gun. And, um, and I agree. I, I think I, I remembered, I think we did a video on the XDS and when you, you were talking about Smith and Wesson with the shield, now they still make the single stack shield. As far as I know, uh, you can still buy a regular shield. And then we did a video on the shield plus not that long ago. We also got in uh, one of the Ruger Max 9s, and I just knocked out a video on the Ruger Max 9, and I was really impressed with that little gun. So when you look at sp uh, where Springfield is probably coming from on that, I mean, obviously, it's like once you get kind of – once the competition sort of pushes you out of that particular market or maybe yeah. you're not selling enough to justify making them anymore – you eventually have to rip the bandaid off and, and just make a business decision. And they probably made a decision, you know, not to make them anymore because it just didn't make financial sense. Um, you know, there's probably a few guns that CZ has, you know, C CZ is a company, Ava have also done you know similar stuff over the years. I mean, they, for a while they did away with the SPO one phantom 
Then they brought it back as something else and kind of integrate that design into something else. Then a lot of people got uppity about the Phantom being discontinued. Then they brought it back. So it's like, you know, yeah. will respond to consumer demand if the demand changes. I mean, you know, we did a video on the on the SPO one Phantom, which is my favorite CZ. I love it. It's a great gun and uh, it's a fantastic pistol. And then they, they started making them again. So I got one of the OG ones from back when they did the first run back in 2003 or four, something like that. Oh, four. And then when they brought it back again, I got the, the newer one and compared the OG one to the newer one and, and found some little inconsistencies between the two. So it's just kind of wild how, you know, companies will also make little rolling changes when they bring something back like that too. Yeah, definitely. Um, even the Springfield Hellion, I don't have that gun, but like that was supposed to be kind of like a, a replica of uh, what was it? The, um, God, what was it? The, yeah, the Croatian it? service rifle that they use over there. Is, yeah. Oh, uh, I think so. I don't know. I forget. Um, but that gun looked kind of cool. I don't think I've ever shot that gun, but um yeah. And then there's also companies that like the Hudson H9, that seemed very promising. I remember interviewing uh, the owners, like it was a husband and wife, beautiful couple. Like they looked like Barbie and Ken. You almost are like, well, were you guys like hired to, you know, like you thought they were like the talent there to like, you know, get people's attention and go to their booth. But like they weren't, they were actually the owners and just super nice people. And they, I think they both had a military background and they came out with the Hudson H9, which had a very similar platform to like a 1911. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was more, they made it like more like front heavy. Um, so it had like a really interesting design, but I loved their story because it just kind of gave everyone hope like, hey, if you want to create a new gun, you know, these people that didn't really have much of a background were able to do it and came up with all these different iterations and eventually came up with that H9. And lots of people bought it. I mean, it was a very promising product. And then I think, what, two years, not even, the company went out of business. And then I felt really bad for anybody who owned it because uh, if they needed any servicing, you know, let's say a part broke, where are you going to find it? It's not like it's a Glock where they have all these aftermarket parts for it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think that they, they have some minor teething issues with that pistol that they never really seemed to work out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think it just resulted in, you know, eventually word gets around, Hey, they're having some accuracy issues or there was some barrel fitment issues, or maybe the, the manufacturer of the barrel itself, they had some issues, but, uh, there were a myriad of problems. I think that, that kind of ended up resulting in, in that company going under and, um, who knows, uh, that gun may make a comeback. Yeah. We shall see. Say, Again, if say, there's... You, you if haven't there's seen the end of the eight Yeah. Well, you I mean, if there's a big enough demand, you know, I mean, look at like the MP5. You know, so many people love that gun. People couldn't, like, you couldn't really afford it. And so there's all these companies now, like the AP5, uh, the um, lots of companies that are like making replicas. I mean, PSA was supposed to make theirs, which I don't think that they ever did, unfortunately. But... Uh, lots of replicas where you can get it now for like under $1,500. So what a time to be alive. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, especially if, 
you know, some of us that remember, you know, from 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted an MP5, you better get your pocketbook out because there wasn't a lot of people making them. Even back then, we're talking, you know, what, $2,000. Uh, MP5s yeah. were expensive. And, uh, yeah. you know, it wasn't until, you know, Zenith started bringing in their units mm-hmm. and then Century bought out Zenith. And now Century brings in their AP5s and stuff. And, uh, and look, they're fantastic and they're affordable and they're made on German machinery in Turkey. And yeah. sure, they, they don't say made in Germany. They don't say HK, but they work and yeah. they're affordable. So that does go to, to say something for how well a gun design can hold up and, and stay, you know, prevalent in people's minds. I mean, look at the Steyr AUG. Um, yes. You know, the AUG is an older gun design, you know? Yeah. But it's timeless and it's yeah. futuristic. Even today, it's futuristic. And you got to think the Steyr AUG, I mean, it was uh, from the 70s. Yeah. That's an older gun design, just like the MP5 is an older gun design. Um, you know, we, we got in a, a pair of, uh, did you ever get to shoot the uh, the FK Bruneau pistol? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, I have two of those, actually. Sometimes I dual wield them. Aren't they cool? <laughs> yeah, I it's weird because I don't really hear that much about the company anymore. But um, even that 7.5 cartridge, like that was pretty genius and it's fun to shoot. But the FK Burno, uh, you could either, depending on like the barrel change out, but it was like, it would fit either a nine, uh, 10 millimeter, that would be a barrel change out, 45. And then I think the seven, five or something. It's been a, a little while since I shot it, but um, those have a very interesting look. And to my knowledge, the company is still around, right? I think they're still around, but I've also heard some rumors that they're kind of like, eh, I don't really know if, if the guns are taken off quite as well. So yeah. the reason I mentioned the FK Bruneau is because it probably will wind up being one of those guns that, you know, in time, maybe, you know, I think the overwhelming consensus is that people want an AR chambered in that cartridge. Yeah. And I don't know if the company's being overly uh, cooperative in terms of releasing any of the information about the cartridge or, um, have, uh, giving ready access to the reloading guys and things like that. I mean, I know that it's, I know it's the Sammy spec cartridge, uh, the seven, five FK Bruno, yeah. but I know there's a lot of people that want to build like an AR SBR and be able to take the FK Bruno magazines and shoot it yeah. through an AR platform instead of trying to buy the pistol. And I know that there was some pushback as to whether or not they wanted to allow that or not. And, and I don't know, you know, some, sometimes in order for a cartridge and gun design combination to have a, a lot of palatability with the consumer market, it's got to be accessible to more people. So if someone mm-hmm. like think about the, uh, the FN five, seven, mm-hmm. how, you know, before PSA released their uh, rock and until what Ruger released a five, seven, I mean, and then now, now Smith and Wesson. Yeah. Everyone's making a now. Right. Yeah. Lots so of, I mean, that was in the last two years, a lot of people jumped on that wagon and then, as a result, um, a lot more ammo manufacturers were like, all right, let's rev up production because there's more guns chambered in it. And and then it also essentially it hasn't brought costs down just because of other, you know, events, uh, current events. But I think as a result, it will, you know, undoubtedly once once we get over this hump, which we're already starting to see some prices uh, for certain calibers go down. They're not like 2020 prices. So no. Definitely not. I mean, I know that uh, I've seen the prices start to creep down on like 22 and nine millimeter and five, five, six, and some of your more, you know, staple yeah. cartridges that they know 
they can produce a lot more of and have maybe just some actually in stock and inventory and, and be able to inventory and justify inventory in it. But I guess that's a fine line there because, you know, they don't want to have, you know, a whole ton of inventory sitting around because then they got money wrapped up and all of that. Mm -hmm. And also for scaling up and down for production, that's also not just something they can just snap their fingers and say, oh, we're going to make more ammo. No, it takes time, not only oh, to yeah. scale up the production, but also to scale back down. Once you're running at big production, you don't just go, well, we're going to flip a little switch here and turn the machine off. No, it's not quite that easy. Like mm -hmm. you got to you know, schedule people differently and you have to, you know, slowly and methodically set the lines down. Like, so it, it, it takes time to scale up and scale down production. So Oh yeah. I hope that the prices begin to normalize and, and they, they seem to be. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what other guns, um, what other guns would I like to see make a comeback? And we're talking, I guess, more modern guns, but mm -hmm. it could be anything. Well, I always thought that it would be S12 uh, because, you know, just when you look at the prices that those guns are bringing on the used market, especially in good condition, they are highly collectible. Mm -hmm. But that, again, they have solidified themselves quite well uh, in, in pop culture and in and, and, and movies and, and all sorts of media and everything like that. And, you know, when you look at the MP5, there's probably just about any reason you could think of for the MP5 to go the way of the Dodo. I mean, it's an antiquated design compared to a lot of things that are out there, but the MP5 persists for a reason because it's a great gun and it's in high demand. And I feel like the Spaz 12 uh, had some teething issues. You know, it was not mm -hmm. a perfect shotgun. It was not without its issues. It had a few flimsy parts that can be broken relatively easily. And it had a really weird manual of arms. Uh, but overall, it was a successful gun design. And I feel like if they could just address a few of those minor teething issues and kind of bring it up into the 21st, you know, in the, into the modern era, uh, I kind of feel like maybe, you know, that gun would do well, you know, to make a, a new SPAS 12 that, um, you know, that is readily accessible to to a consumer for a decent sum of money and has, you know, newly made parts that they can they can get. Now, you can buy Benelli M3, which is a convertible. And in case uh, our listeners may not know, the SPAS 12 can be converted between semi-auto and pump action uh, by changing a le lever on, on the gun. Uh, same thing with the M3. The M3 has a... Uh, a little lever up at the top of the cap where the magazine is or the magazine tube is that you have to flip and you can convert the M3 between semi-auto and pump. That's nice if you want to change up to less than lethal like beam backgrounds and then be able to switch right back to a, you know a lethal round or something mm -hmm. like that or if you just want to be able to run a breaching round for the first uh, cartridge uh, that you're going to you know shoot a lock off or something and then flip it back to semi-auto and now you're back to lethal again. You know, the first round out of the tube is you're less than lethal and you can just eject it with the pump action and then switch it back to semi-auto. So yeah. there are some tactical uses for a convertible shotgun and Benelli has filled that niche pretty well. Mm -hmm. However, I just think from a cool factor, it would be neat to see a newly produced uh, Franchi Spass 12. Maybe not from Franchi, maybe just someone else could make it or, or something like that. But yeah. I don't know if Franchi is still in business or not. Maybe they are. Yeah, but, I don't know. But it would be cool to see. Yeah. I also there's talent, so um, you know there's quite a few, guns. Yeah. There's quite a few companies actually too that have kind uh closed its doors in recent years. One that I heard was uh what is it, WLRC? 
Did they just close their doors? LWRC? Yeah. Really? I think so. Oh. Kind of want to like Google it while. Yeah. Um, I, I thought well, I read something like that. Yeah. That is interesting. I I don't know because I know that um, I believe if I'm not mistaken, it was it was it was LWRC that came out with that SMG 45. Remember that that 45 sub gun that came out a few years back and kind of mm. really was turning yeah. some heads. I well, I'm gonna laugh if like I'm like I think they're out of business, and then uh, and then you know the next thing you know they contact us and they're like, ma'am, can you please stop telling people that we're out of business? We are alive and well, and we are shipping orders. <laughs> I just went to their website and it still works, so okay. <laughs> that may not be. Well, this is embarrassing. That may not be a good look, <laughs> unless okay. they're getting rid of inventory. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. So in terms uh, of like a lot of classic gun designs that are not made anymore, that I, you know, I always thought that the that the Swiss PE fifty seven was a great service rifle, and uh, that was um, Switzerland service rifle from about nineteen fifty eight on to about nineteen ninety, and Sig brought in a whole bunch of AMTs, what they called AMTs, uh, that were in three hundred eight. And then the original Swiss units were in uh, the 75 by 55 uh, Swiss cartridge. Uh, and this was semi-auto kind of battle rifles. It was like Switzerland's battle rifle from like 1958 and on. And the cool thing about it, it's a really wicked cool gun. Like it's it's real futuristic looking. It's real steampunk looking. And it it's a ridiculously high performance uh, battle rifle. I mean, when you look at guns like the FAL, uh, you look at guns like the G3, you know, they're in that kind of, you know, battle rifle caliber. You know, even the scar, like I've got back here. Let's see, Mr. Monkey over here is holding a scar back there. Know. So, you know, um, when you've got into rifles that are in that size range, the P57 kind of fit a really interesting niche because it was super accurate and everything like that. Well, they imported some into the U.S., but they're really rare and they're really uncommon. I mean, it's like when you look at the, uh, the Druganovs and things like the actual real deal SVDs. And mm -hmm. how few of those really came in and how rare they are. So, you know, like the PSL kind of filled that niche where, where the where the 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 offs left off the SVDs. You, you don't really get that with the with the SIG or with the Swiss PE 57 because they you can't no one makes them. You can get yeah. parts kit, but it would be so cool to see that rifle make some sort of a comeback and have someone make it. But the problem is the machining on those guns, if you've ever held one. They are super, 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 super nice. Really, really high quality machining, fit and finish, the bluing, like everything that the Swiss make is just pure freaking quality. And um, oh. I had a chance to buy one of those guns sometime back. My buddy uh, Mark down at a store called The Rifleman. Some of y'all here in Georgia know of Mark at The Rifleman. And I, I walked in The Rifleman and he had a, he had a Swiss PE-57 with the winter trigger, it had the bipod, about eight or ten magazines, a Crancet tray, bunch of parts. Okay. And he wanted, I think at the time he wanted four thousand bucks for it. And that was 15 years ago. Dang. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Dang. 15 years ago. I mean, even now, like somebody just messaged me about buying this, you know, like a Titman Gatling gun. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I was looking at like 5,000. And I was like, oh, that'd be so cool. But, you know, but 4,000 15 years ago, I mean, it's still expensive. But don't you hate how, like you mentioned the Dragonoff. Uh, my friend sold one years ago because he really needed money. And he like basically gave it away. And I told him, I was like, I wish I knew that you were selling that because I would have bought it in a heartbeat. So there's just certain things that you think about that you're like, oh, I wish I'd freaking, you know. Mm-hmm. And you but could tell me you think that. about it because you're like, it had this trigger. It came with all the accessories. It was just beautiful. <laughs> I know, but you know that gun should have been in my collection. And you know, sometimes you just have the one that gets away. And that P57 yeah. was one of the ones that got away. Another gun I've always been intrigued with. That I mean, it's not that they're not available in the world per se, but here in the U.S., they're extremely rare. I always like the French uh, Famas. I don't you know, know I always thought that. it'd be cool to see the FAMAS make its way to the U.S. And now, what if we had a company like PSA who is really good at making, you know, clones and copies of things for a good quality, for a good price? How cool would it be for somebody like PSA to make a U.S. produced FAMAS? Spell FAMAS for me. I'm going to look it up. F-A-M-A-S, FAMAS. So that that's uh, French. Bullpup. But see, you don't see a lot of them in the U.S., but they are cool. They oh, are really yeah, cool. that looks like a really cool gun. Yeah. So see, that that's not something you see in the U.S. very often. So for me, when I think about things either from the past or even just the immediate, you know, vicinity of, of the time frame we're in now, you know, it may not necessarily be that it's not made anymore, but maybe it's not available either. You know, so yeah. like, not that the, I believe the FAMASAs are still in production, if I'm not mistaken, you, we just can't get them here. Uh, yeah. We don't, we don't get them here. It, I mean, it does. Brought in the A-Trax, the F-90 A-Trax uh, from Australia. But mm-hmm. then the ATF put the brakes on the importation. We actually had one of the road reps come and bring the Lithgow A-Trax out, which is like a super modern uh, Styrog, like a, a very modernized and upgraded Styrog. And it was so freaking awesome. We did a video on it. If anybody wants to watch it. But that's a gun that I wish we could get was the Atrax, but it looks like Lithgow. Um, you know, they put the brakes on importing it, unfortunately. I know. And people don't realize how difficult it is to import guns. So one of my sponsors, IWI, IWI International has so many like cooler guns, not cooler, but they have a lot of cool guns that I would love to have, but they just like obviously can't import it. And importing i mean it takes years to do like you have to jump through all of these hoops uh if they don't like you know a certain part on it or i mean essentially that's why iwi just started making stuff uh here in the u.s in middletown pennsylvania because it was easier to like create an entire factory than try to import stuff that was made in israel Mm -hmm. but yeah it it is it's a bummer how hard it is to get Cause you wouldn't even think that that's something that like doesn't cross most people's minds or they don't realize that like other countries have, you know, all these different guns that we don't have access to and vice versa. My favorite IWI product is the nine millimeter Tavor. So the Tavor with the nine millimeter kit. And then yeah. especially if you got that and put the little tiny barrel in it. Yeah. You I got the- bullpup. Yeah, I have the X95 SBR, but it's 5.56. Five, mm-hmm. But yeah. I could, I could, uh, you know. Yeah, I like the Tavor. I like the Galil. 
the Galil that they just came out with. So that thing is a little chubster. Like you take it out of the box and you're like, oh dang, this must be like chambered 308 or something. And it's just like, no, it's not. Um, but it, it looks like it would shoot a much larger caliber because it's just so beefy. But because of that, so I didn't really, I mean, I, I didn't really, ex I don't know what I was expecting when I took it out of the box, but when I started shooting it, I was like, dang, this thing shoots like a freaking dream. Like, oh, it was smooth. I have a, uh, a 762 by 39 uh, Galil, a 16-inch rifle that I bought. Uh, I went to an academy sports uh, over here, and this was a couple of years back. They were blowing them out. For like a stupid price. It was like it was the price that was so low, I would have been dumb not to buy it. I think they're blowing them out for like 850 bucks or something crazy like that. I was like, yeah, I'm totally getting that. But they brought in a limited number of those Galil Aces uh pistols, okay, uh in five four five by thirty-nine. And then they have some of those with the folding braces. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I know, I remember that too. Yep. That's that the gun I like, wanted. That was just recently. That was like a year ago or a year and a half ago. Yeah. That's yeah. the gun I want is the 545 pistol with the folding brace because not a lot of companies make a 545 pistol. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for some reason, I mean, PSA is really about the only one making a 545 uh, AK pistol. Um, you know, you can get anything under a 16 inch barrel. So, but for a long time, it took companies so long to make a pistol chambered in 545 yeah. or something. Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear my dog barking? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> I, was like, too, I was so. like, let's just act like, you know, nothing is happening. It's fine. Maybe the mic's not picking it up. <laughs> no, it's all good. I don't like pizzas. You're embarrassing me in front of my new friends. <laughs> uh all right i'm trying to think of other guns um i don't know i think we did a pretty good job a pretty decent job of like covering some of the stuff i'm curious what others like listeners i'm sure there's so much stuff that people are like why aren't you naming this um it obviously it's been a long day for you it's it's interesting because i'm looking at uh even my video quality i'm literally recording in the dark i don't know how i look so bright on camera because I even had a look at like the the hole in my cup, like to make sure that I was putting my mouth over the hole when I took a sip. Because I'm <laughs> recording in like pitch black, but it looks like it's oh day, you know. So um, I want to mention one other gun from the past, real quick. And uh, so what's kind of interesting about the Swiss K31? Again, going back to Swiss military, a lot of people would, were asking. Like I remember reading some questions on some on one of my videos about the Swiss K31. They were like, "Well, why doesn't a company make?" a modern straight pool rifle that is similar to the Swiss K31. Okay, well, why, why wouldn't they do it? Well, way back in the in the day, you know, during World War II, a K31 cost um, 42 Swiss francs to produce. And uh, in today's money, you know, if, if a company, if you've got a company like Remington or someone like that, or, or, or Henry or whoever, a modern firearms company, to make a gun like the K31 with, with the same quality of materials, workmanship, craftsmanship, you know, all that stuff as the original guns, those rifles would probably cost a better part of six, seven, or maybe $8,000. Um, so the, the, the problem is that there are a lot of great guns from the past that would be cool to bring back. Okay. When we think about, Hey, something that's not made anymore, something we'd like to bring back. I mean, it'd be like, 
bringing back the Mauser broom handle or bringing back newly produced Swiss Lugers or German Lugers or bringing back the Swiss K31 and making it as a modern gun and chambering it in some gangbuster sporting cartridges or something or making a sporting rifle exactly like a K31 with the same action and everything. The problem is not that a company can't make those guns anymore. It's just that they're incredibly cost prohibitive. Um, most people are not going to want to pay uh, the kind of money that would be required to have a gun of that quality made uh, now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then when you look at the, the Colt uh, Python, right? Colt re-released the Python, right? They got a lot of consumer demand for the original Pythons. They thought, well, let's re-release uh, re the, the Python. Wound up being a huge fiasco. Did not quite go the way that they thought it would be. They thought that they could rest on their laurels of the legacy of the Colt Python, yeah. And that people would buy them hand over fist. And I'm sure they've sold some. But then what happens? These guns get out into people's hands and they're like, ah, you know, it just it just ain't the same as what it used to be. They're not fit the same. The parts aren't the same. They just it's just not the same gun it used to be. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I because I still get emails, um, you know, from uh, from distributors and um they had a bunch of colt pythons up for grabs and they were like all right we have a huge sale on it and i was like dang i guess they're not selling as well as you know they anticipated and and then sometimes i think that there is sort of that like you want it because it's hard to get but then once it is available you're like man i don't know do i really want it you know like there's still just like that mystique behind it um so I think even if it was made fairly similar, uh, which I'm sure the Python wasn't, I've, I haven't had gotten my hands on like the real Python, but I do wonder if people then, if it was like more readily available, if they were just like, eh, they don't really have like that, you know, FOMO, like fear of missing out. And, and right. they're just like, man, maybe I don't need it. You know, the original Pythons are freaking legit. Yeah. They are such great guns. I mean, like my grandpa had a six inch Python. It was just a magical shooting experience. And uh, unfortunately that gun went the way of the Dodo after he passed away. I'm sure it's, you know, probably somebody's freaking closet or pond shop now or something. Right. Someone, someone got a hold of it, but it was a great gun, you know, and then they, they were fantastic pistols. And there are a lot of instances, Ava, where, an older gun design does eventually find its way uh, forward as well. I mean, you look at the, you know, I have an old school FN 49 and you look at the FN 49 and you think, well, why don't they make the FN 49 anymore? Well, because it's, it's antiquated. It's out of date, right? Mm -hmm. The FN 49 became what would become the FAL. And then the FAL became what we see back there. The monkey holding the, the scar. Yeah. Such a lucky <laughs> little monkey. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, we think about guns from the past and we think, well, it'd be cool if they were still around, but in some ways they are still around. Their, their lineage goes on to become something else. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's okay too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, you know what? I didn't even look to see if there was a listener of the week who left a review. I'm going to do that right now. Sure. I know I was going around on a lot of different subjects there, but there's so many cool guns from the past that it would be neat to have them out there, uh, you know, newly produced. But um, not only guns from the past, but even modern guns, like you'd mentioned, the H9. 
Um, yeah. I don't think the days of the H9 are over. Okay. The well, hint, hint. Yeah. The gun may be making a comeback. All right. So we do have a new review. Uh, it's titled Great Show, Great Information, Great. Okay. Let me click on it so I could read the whole thing. Uh, I don't think I can. Uh, I don't know. Great something, dot, dot, dot. Because then it cuts out five stars. Uh, this is from Tommy Gunn, 1974. Just found this podcast. Enjoy it very much. Great stuff. Inform informative, interesting, and entertaining. Keep up the good work. Good. Yeah. That was really sweet. You think we should send him something? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Okay. How about I send him something? Why don't you reach out to him or whatever, get his, get his information. Well, he'll, he'll, reach us, he'll reach out to us. So if you guys have any questions, anything that comes up um, or you're the winner of something, just reach out to us at pewpewpanel at gmail.com. And this guy, Tommy gun, 1974, just send us a good email address or I'm yeah. sorry, send us a good, um, a good shipping address. And, yeah. email and then give us your shirt size, Tommy. And, and go on my website and pick out a shirt you like. I'm going to send you a shirt. Cool. Awesome. And then um, we did have a listener that wrote in. And, oh, man, this this email had me cracking up. I'm not going to lie. This guy sounds a little out there. Um, <laughs> but he grows different peppers. And he said that Pepper X has nothing on his peppers. And so, Eric, he is sending you peppers. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and uh and he was like he was like yeah the last email he sent me he was like uh all right i'll send eric a variety like there's yellow there's maybe some like orange ones or something and then there's like some that are called chocolates and he's like man the chocolates like you you only send that if you want revenge and um then he joked he's like maybe i'll send some pepto-bismol along with it so i cannot wait for you to try these um, we're going to have to make this episode fun. So like, as you're eating the peppers, we're going to have to like talk about something or ask you questions, but yeah, stay on the lookout for that. Uh, cause as soon as you guys get, as long, as soon as you get the peppers, we're going to do that episode. One of those peppers, I think he was saying, I saw the email thread. It was 2.7 million scale volumes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was like you said, yeah. Yeah, so wow. that should be a pretty fun episode. <laughs> fun for you. Might be fun for me. It's going to be freaking miserable for me. Okay, look, I'll bring some... I mean, I do like spicy, but I'll drink some spicy Bloody Marys while you're doing this, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> what you got to do is you got to prepare some really difficult questions. They're going to really require me to think hard. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm sitting here... Crying my eyes out trying to answer yeah. some really technical question, you know, just try to stop. Yeah. Well, they say that like you speak the truth when you're suffering from something hot. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, like uh, the hot ones show. Where yeah. They eat, I see yeah. chicken wings and, and interview each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So we can treat it like hot ones and I'll, and you can just ask me whatever the heck you want. While, while I don't know. I'm kind of scared though. Cause what if you do say the truth? Like, I'll be like, okay, Eric, do you like working with me? And you're just like, F no, no. <laughs> oh gosh, come on. And I'll be like, okay, well this just went real South. Um, no. 
but yeah, I'll have to think of, of a bunch of questions. And if you guys have any questions that you want us to, you know, that you want me to ask or anything that you want Eric to answer, uh, let us know. Um, but yeah, on that note, um, don't forget to like Pew Pew panel on YouTube. Uh, comment below. Uh, let us know if you have any questions for us. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Outstanding. Later, y'all.